0: I haven't been here for a couple of weeks, and we left off with me, uh, I think on the 7th, and we talked about verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 8, but what brought us to that place was the exclamation by Paul in chapter 7 and verse 24, and Paul made a statement that I just contemplated. I, I thought it through. What in the world was he saying? He said, wretched man that I am. And I thought about that. Paul's an apostle. He is a a writer of most of the New Testament. He has walked with the Lord. He has, by faith, asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And yet Paul was fully aware of the state of his sinfulness. And I I think there is a reason for him to say this. I think there's a reason that he just opens himself and becomes transparent with you and me. And that is to allow us to see that that, that in our failings, in our times where we don't live up to the very standard that we have set for ourselves as Christians, that we're not completely out of the race. We're not done. Even Paul, the apostle, said, Wretched man that I am. And he follows it up with a rhetorical question. Who is going to set me free from the body of this death? The answer, of course, came in verse 25. He had it ready. He already had it thought out. Thanks be to God, he says. It is done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul makes a statement that sets free every single person who decides to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In chapter 8 and verse 1, he says that there is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning, there is now no legal blame from God against those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And why no legal blame? Well, let's read verses 1 through 11. We're going to brush lightly over verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 because we've already studied them. But also, I want you to kind of refresh your memory of what Paul has promised To those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 8. I want to read to verse 11. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, For those who are And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through through His Spirit, who indwells you, folks. If there ever is a Hallelujah time in a church, it is there to contemplate all that God wants to give you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. Is it an amazing statement. It is an amazing place in Scripture to see all of the promises fulfilled for those of us who have chosen to be in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, to you and to me, it means myriads. For those of us who know the Lord, it means everything. For those of you who are here and investigating about Christianity, you've, you've not yet given your heart to Christ and you're still thinking about it, we want to plead with you. Listen. Listen to what the Lord God has to say. Don't listen so much to me. Listen to what these words, in this, the Word of God says. Let it speak to your heart. And let the Lord convict you where you need to be convicted. Let Him comfort you where you need to be comforted. And let Him take a hold of of your very being and, and move you into that place that is as... Paul writes here, where the Spirit is life and peace. Not peace on earth, not this this bogus peace on earth that, 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 that so many people speak of, but this peace that you will have between you and God. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you have that inner peace between yourself and God, that He loves you. I want to show you that today i want to i want to make it as clear to you today as i possibly can so let's pray and let's ask the lord to to teach us father please do that i beg of you father that you might open up our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things from your law the bible the the words that we have just read here in the eighth chapter of romans and that father for this to take place we want you to minister to us not me and so I beg of you, Father, that you would move me aside, that, that what we hear is your still, silent, quiet voice that speaks into our heart of hearts, that we might hear from you. And in so doing, we might respond to what we hear. So Lord, bless us, please. Move us, please, dear Father. Allow us to understand what you want from us. And may we walk in obedience to that, I pray, Father, in the most precious name that we know of. That is the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, Paul says, There is absolutely no legal blame against those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation upon your heart. You have access to God himself anytime you want. Now we have it by prayer and listening to him and reading his words. One day and one day, I'm sure soon, we will stand before him. Soon meaning sooner than you think. Sometimes it's, you know, you'll be standing before him and you'll be able to feel the very essence of what it is you've trusted and believed in. In full force as you stand there before God. Can't even imagine. So he says there's no, la- no condemnation now. Why? Well, verses 2 and 3 are the word for. It is mentioned in verse 2 and 3 twice. It also is mentioned in verses 5 and 6. For, F-O-R. That word is really better translated because. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, verse 2, because. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Not physical death. Paul is speaking about spiritual death, that separation from God. He has set you free from that. Why? Verse 3, Because what the law could not do, weak as it was, Paul is not saying that this is weak. What was weak was us. What the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, our flesh, God did. In other words, God took over for the law, and He sent, as it says in verse 3, His own Son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of this world. And through Jesus Christ, it says in verse 3, He condemned sin in the flesh. So that, verse 4, really important, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those of us who do not walk according to the flesh, but rather walk according to the Spirit. The requirement of the law was God's own law. God said that there had to be a payment for our sin, your sin, my sin. The payment was blood. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of an animal. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ willfully went to the cross and shed His blood for the forgiveness of your and by sin. That was required of by God. So God required it. He also supplied the answer. And He did it by sending His own Son to die for us. Now, throughout the book of Romans... Paul has made it very clear that there is still sin in your life, in your life and my life, even as believers. Paul uses himself as the barometer of this truth, saying, wretched man that I am. He then says, who will set, and you'll note, he doesn't say them, meaning the church, the people he was ministering to. He doesn't say us. He says, who will set Me, Paul, himself, free from the body of this death. In other words, Paul sees his own shortcomings, his his own sin, just as I'm sure you and I know I do. And we see our shortcomings. Paul is not saying in verse 1 that there is now no condemnation in the Christian life. There's nothing in your life that is worthy of being condemned. No, no, he's not saying that at all. What he is saying though, if God were to judge you and me right now according to our own behavior, according to our own righteousness, we'd be all condemned. But Paul says boldly in verse 1, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation, no legal blame against you from God. And the answer why is because you and I who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have by faith received from Him His righteousness. His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed. That's a big word meaning it has been given to you the moment you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Meaning there is now no condemnation upon you so when God looks at you as a believer in Jesus Christ he doesn't see you not now right now what he sees when he looks at you is the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ living in you and therefore there's no condemnation upon you because of what Jesus Christ has done for us that's a great truth to comprehend that's a great truth to to think through to Imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ has loved you and me so much that He died for us. And in so doing, when we accept Him by faith, He gives us, imputes upon us His righteousness so that the Lord God doesn't see us anymore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation upon those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, when the Bible says, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we studied it the last time we were, I was with you. That was about three weeks ago now. The word in in the Greek is E-I-S. It means literally in to. In other words, once a person has by faith moved into Christ Jesus, they are then securely and forevermore moved into his forever eternal care. He will care for you the rest of eternity. I know that for a fact. Jesus Christ was talking. You want to take a look at Romans chapter 10 for a moment? Hold your place here. Flip to the left and go to Romans. It's, uh, excuse me, John. Did I say Romans? I did. I knew it. The moment I looked and saw it was John. John, it's to the left. You'll go past uh, the book of Acts and you'll hit John. And look at John chapter 8. Attend with me, please. My goodness. I I want to get to eight in a minute. Let me just kind of put my note there. In John chapter 10, the Jews had come to Jesus Christ and they said to Him, will you tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the one that we were to look forward to? Are you the Messiah that is going to come to this earth to, to set up the kingdom of God? And Jesus said to them, I've already told you who I am. You don't believe because you don't hear me. And then he said in verse 27 of John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I, he says, I know them. They follow me. Let me stop there just for a second. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I think you should know. Do you follow him? Is it a pattern of your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think for the most part you are here in this church. But I, I've talked to people and I'm sure you have. I'm, I'm, I remember very distinctly just a, um, now it's been a while, over a year I guess now, that I went back and buried my friend in Texas, um, my, my friend Mel Corbo, whom I love dearly, baseball player, excellent baseball player, and buried him. And, and there I met a lot of his friends and a lot of people who told me, yeah, I'm a Christian great so you you've saved well you know i hope i am (laughs) sure hope so i try to try to i try to live a christian life is that a response that you ever give it ought not to be ever i said to them boy that's sad i I said uh i i I absolutely know i'm a christian now i know when i say that i understand i get it i know it sounds self-righteous I know it sounds like, oh, who does this guy think he is? He, look at him. He, he's a, he knows he's a believer. Well, I do. I do know that I'm a believer, not because of who I am, but because of, of who Christ is and what he has done for me. I, I know this. I, I read it. I, I, I get what he says. And I follow him. It is my choice to follow him. Do you know for sure? You know, I, I asked him, I said, to one of the guys that that said that to me, and he was kind of emphatic about it. And I said, well, are you married? And he says, yeah. I said, well, do you ever say, I think I am? Oh, no. Of course not. Well, no, you'd never say that, especially in front of your wife. You wouldn't say, "I, I I I think I'm married. Oh, you know you're married. On September the 14th, 1973, I asked Kay to be my wife. One of the greatest Decisions I ever made, apart from the one on March the 12th, 1973, when I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And I've never doubted for an instant that I've been a married man since September 14th of 73, nor have I ever doubted for an instant that I am a believer in Jesus Christ since March the 12th, 1973. And it's not because of anything I've done. I I can echo with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God. It has been done through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I want you and me to be a church that is followers of Jesus Christ. Then he says these amazing words in verses 28 and 29. Read them with me. He says, And I give eternal life to them who's them those who follow me and they will get this never perish he doesn't say and they won't perish as long as they they live pretty good lives no he says they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand To double up on that, he says, and my Father, in verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You want to talk about a place that we ought to be, you know, if this is a Pentecostal church, we'd be rolling in the, you know, people be running up and down and jumping and shouting hallelujah. And. And rightfully so. These are some of the greatest words of of assurance that you and I will ever receive. Never perish. No one will snatch them out of His hand, ever. And His Father, who is greater than all, no one will snatch them out of His Father's hand either. Please move back with me to to Romans chapter 8. we will come back to John in a, a while. But in verse 3, I want you to note something. Paul then wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, the law is in what is weak. We are. And so the, the law, as I've told you myriads of times, I've told you often, when you read the Bible, the Bible shouldn't make you start to feel good about yourself. What the Bible should do is to convict you that you need a Savior. The Bible is written so as to bring us, lead us to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. So what the Bible could not do, the Bible couldn't save you. So what the the Bible could not do, our Lord says, or Paul says in verse 3, God did. God handled what the Bible could not do. And he handled it by, as it says in verse 3, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, like you and me, as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in your flesh, our flesh, your flesh. Paul is speaking of the impossibility of the law to save you and me, not because of its weakness, but because of ours. And so to solve the dilemma, God provided a solution by sending His Son to be a sin offering for you and for me. And why did He do that? Well, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, so that the requirement, the requirement that He lay down blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin so the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, thus us who do not walk according to the flesh, but rather walk according to the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, up to Romans chapter 8, Romans 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time. Here in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned some 20 times. This chapter is all about the power of the Holy Spirit in your and my life, enabling you and me to live the life that God has called us to live. This is all about, chapter 8, is all about you and me being sanctified. In other words, setting ourselves apart for the service of our God, to, to live the life that He has called us to live. That's why uh, it's interesting that this is the week that the flyers go out on, on would you like to help, serve, to make us, help us move. And for those that would like to serve, this is a, a perfect time to kind of set yourself apart to help the church in whatever way you can. And don't let anyone force you to help, but don't let anyone stop you from helping if you'd like to. So the requirement of the law was blood. And the Holy Spirit furnishes the power in your life and my life. You see, Jesus Christ came not only to set you and me free from the penalty of sin... And the penalty of the sin was eternal damnation. No, He also came to set you and me free from the power of sin over us, to control us. And the Holy Spirit furnishes that power so that you and I can live in obedience with Christ. As it says in verse 4, so we can walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh. But the decision to walk, that's, that's yours. Salvation is no longer really an issue in chapter 8 on. Salvation has been explained and, and taken care of by Paul. It is by faith. He has taught us and taught us and taught us so much that he, we believe that, that salvation is a grace of God, a, 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 a gift that He just unmeritedly gives to us. But now He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about serving. He's talking about living the life of setting yourself apart, being sanctified for the cause of Jesus Christ so that the people in your family, the people in your community, the people in your workplace see a difference in your life, that you walk with Christ. And so the Holy Spirit Spirit wants to furnish the power for you and me, those of us who want to walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. But the decision it's yours, yours and yours alone. No one can make you. you. Can't. You can fill this thing out, you know, and 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 say you want to serve, but you don't have to. No one can make you. It is a, it is a decision that you will make in your own heart, to serve the Lord in the, whatever capacity you want. So the spiritual blessings that are found here in the eighth chapter. Of the book of Romans, both theologically and practically, are beyond amazing. This chapter is life-changing, I promise you. Listen, we're going to talk about this in some weeks to come, but listen to the end of chapter 8. Listen to how Paul wants to assure you and me how much the Lord God loves us. How assured you ought to be in your faith and and how how wonderful this feeling is of walking with Christ all the days of your life. Paul writes in verse 37 of this chapter, chapter 8. Let's jump ahead just for a second. He says, In all these things we, now watch, watch his words, overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. Paul says in verse 38, I am convinced. There's no doubt in my mind. I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, things present nor things to come, powers, heights, depths, nor any other created thing, I guess he covered it all, shall be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. What great words. The Holy Spirit is to you and me what God the Father is to this physical world in which we live. In other words, without God, the physical world could not exist. I mean, you know, you want to hear people that think they're smart, don't believe there's a God, believe that everything began with a, a big bang or something, and then all of a sudden... Uh, Things oozed out of the whatever, and then they started to stay. I'm gonna stand up. Oh, I can stand up, you know. And then all of a sudden, they walk, and <clears throat> oh, I can talk, you know, and all of that. You know, I don't know what they think, but all of a sudden, they they bring about this whole creation. And what they don't realize is that God the Father holds the physical world together with just His hand. It has all been created and continually sustained by the omnipotent power of a God that you and I know and love. I know that people think that we're crazy for being in church. I, I get that. I, I, I thought that really seriously in the first service. We had a great first service, I want to tell you. Just like now, I feel. And we just had a, a wonderful time of worship. And I was thinking as, as I was singing and praying before I come up here, I was thinking, how about so many people think we're just crazy. We're just crazy. Don't you have anything better to do? Have you ever seen God? Have you ever touched him physically? ever ever? ever? And they think how insane of us to try to build our lives upon this one that we 've never seen, and yet they 've never really felt Him like you and I have felt him, not felt him physically, but felt him in our spirit, felt the very peace of God that overwhelms us sometimes when we were at that time of need. We know and love this Lord, our God. He creates and sustains this universe in which we live. And just the wiggle of His finger it would all go amok. Well, the Holy Spirit, who participated in the creation of this world, is the same thing to us as believers. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent in your life that creates and sustains and preserves your spiritual life. It is He who will ultimately bring you into the very presence of God before the throne of God. Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit has always been convicting mankind of sin, giving salvation, teaching believers to worship, obey, serve, honor, and praise our God, which brings Paul to the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. I want you to read with me again, please. Verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. In verse 4, Paul says, In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, those of us... Let me add some words, if you don't mind. And I don't want to take away from the meaning, of course. I just want to... just Let me just use a couple of words for you, if I may. Verse 4. In order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in you, you... Who do not walk according to the flesh, but rather walk according to the Spirit. Those who walk according to the flesh, look, he says, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those words, set your mind, is a, a habitual pattern in your life. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who walk according to the Spirit, these people set their minds on the spirit that is a pattern of your life for the mind set on the flesh is death that's that's an eternal separation from God that's not physical death that is a a, once we all die and stand before God there are going to be those that he will physically separate himself from them they will eternally be dead that is a place called damnation or hell And so in verse 6, the mind that is set on the flesh is death. But, but, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Not peace on earth, as so many would like to say on Christmas time. You know, may there be peace on earth. There will never be peace on earth. The Bible's clear about that. There will be wars and rumors of wars forever. No, the peace is the peace that you have, as I mentioned a while ago, in the midst of turmoil, that you have this peace with God. That you know Him, He knows you, and you have decided to follow Him. That's the end of verse 6. Read with me verse 7. Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. But to those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. I'll read verses 9 through 11 in a moment. In verse 4, Paul is speaking to the believer. And he's saying, you do not want to walk according to the flesh. You want to walk according to the Spirit. Now, in verses 2 and 3, as I mentioned a little while ago, the word for is because. It is the same in verses 5 and 6. Because. The point is this. A believer does not behave according to the flesh because you have a new heart, a new mind. No longer are you centered on the things of the flesh that is ruled by your old sin nature, you have the ability to overpower that and be led by the very Spirit of God that indwells you. What we want to do as we grow and, and walk with Christ is to learn how does, that, how does that register in my life? How do I become a person that walks with God? What, what do you use? How is, the, how is it that you draw yourself closer to God all week long, not just on Sunday morning? And me, it's, it's it's things that beep in my life, my my watch, my my, my alarm, my, not my alarm clock, my uh, grandfather clock that, that that chimes on the half hour and the hour to remind me, "Am I walking with God? Is this what I'm trying to do? Things in my car that remind me when I need to drive better, that I, I, I need to be controlled not by my flesh but by the spirit of God. A believer does not have to behave according to the flesh. Listen, and listen very carefully. In God's eyes, there are only two kinds of people on this earth. Those who do not belong to Him and those who do. As it says in verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul writes, those who walk not according to the flesh, but rather walk according to the Spirit. That's a choice in your life and my life. As far as your spiritual life is, is concerned, your coming to Christ does not matter about your gender, your age, your, your abilities or non-abilities. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Every human being is completely in one spiritual state or the other. You either belong to God or you do not. I want you now to look with me, as I kind of messed up a little earlier, saying John, uh, John chapter, would you look please at John chapter 8 now. It's an interesting place in Scripture. In verses 21 through 24, read with me. Jesus said to them, I'm going to go away. This is in John chapter 8, verse 21. I'm going to go away, and you'll seek me, and you shall, and I, and shall die in your sins, because where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He was saying to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Every human being is either a believer or a non-believer. A follower or not a follower. Jesus went on to say in John chapter 8 verse 44, one of the most penetrating verses in Scripture. He was talking to the Jewish leadership, the religious leaders of the day. And he started off, verse 44, by saying, you are of your father, what? The devil. You talk about a a very, some would say, hate-filled statement. Here are these men trying to live a godly life. They're trying to be religious, and Jesus looks at them and said to them, look, Unless you come to believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. Then he says to them in verse 44, You are of your father, the devil. You'll note, there's no middle ground. You're either a part of the family of God or you're not. He goes to say further in verse 44, You want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature. For he is a liar. He is the father of lies. Jesus is saying, you're either with me or you're not. You, he says, because you've chosen not to believe are of your father, the devil. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. Let's close um, in this place in scripture right now. Let's Let's find out why some of these words are so key. In verse 5, it says in verse 5, For those who are according to, according to indicates a person's fundamental bent, their disposition, their character. You live according to this lifestyle, is what Paul is saying. In other words, as Paul states, those who walk according to the flesh, look at verse 9, He says in verse 9, However, you are not of the flesh, you are of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to God. Why? Verses 5, 6, and 7. Because they have set their minds. That word in the Greek is P-H-R-O-N-E-O. It refers to their basic bent. It refers to their pattern of life. I want you to, again, please forgive me turning back and forth, but look at Romans chapter 1, just for an instant, please. We studied this quite some time ago, I know. But in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18, Paul starts to write about those who have just rejected God. They saw no need in their lives to know Him and to live for Him. And so, In verses 24, 26, and 28, it says, Because they have chosen not to follow me, not to live for God, verse 24, 6, and 8, Paul writes, God gave them over to whatever it is that they were doing. Whatever it is, the lifestyle that they were practicing, he gave them over to it. And ultimately, in verse 32, the last verse of Romans chapter 1, Although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice these things, in other words, set their minds on this type of lifestyle, it is their basic bent. Those who practice these things are worthy of death. They not only do them, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Paul states. If you want to turn back, please, to Romans chapter 8. But Paul states in Philippians, the third chapter, the 19th verse, he says, there are those whose end is destruction. He says, there are those whose God is their appetite. He says, there are those whose glory is in their shame. You know, I understand that. I get it. I worked long enough in the clubhouse and, and did enough time in a a clubhouse to to hear guys brag about things that are despicable. It is their shame, and they glory in their shame. They glory in the things that they've done against their family, their wife, and others that they say they quote-unquote love. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who, and here it is, Philippians 3.19, who set their minds, in other words, as a pattern of life, they set their minds on the things of this earth. Yet on the other hand, in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Paul makes it clear, there are also those who live according to the Spirit. In other words, set their minds, your minds set as a pattern of your life on the things of the Spirit. When we walk out of here today, I want that to be a, a challenge for you and me. That we set our minds not on the flesh, not on those things that take us down, but rather on those things that lift us up, that become more and more like Christ in your life and in my life. In verse 6, Paul says, The mind that is set on the flesh, in other words, it's a pattern of life, will bring forth death. But the mind that is set as a pattern of life on the Spirit is life and peace. I want for you and for me life and peace. There is a life of sin which leads to death. In the Old Testament, Isaiah was wrestling with the people of Israel. As a pattern of their life, they were falling away from their God. And Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, verse 2, your iniquities, in other words, your sin, your pattern of sin have made a separation between you and your God. Your sin have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Folks, I want God to hear you and me. When we pray to Him and ask Him for blessings, I want Him to hear us. And I want Him to hide His face from us. I want us to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. That's what Paul is trying to say to us. So the bottom line is pure in this message. It's very understandable. As it says in verse 8, if you want to be in the flesh, if that is a, a pattern of your life, then you will not be able to please God. And Paul has made this clear, using himself as a barometer, that even a child of God Sometimes we'll falter in our obedience to him. Wretched man that he is, Paul says. But he assuredly tells us this. Now let's read the last couple of verses. Read with me and rejoice in verses 9, 10, and 11. However, however, he says, you're not of the flesh, you are of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ that is living in you. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. I want to have a call to Christ. I want to, right now, I've got two or three more minutes. I want to call upon those of you who do not know the Lord. You don't know for sure that you've ever asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I'm saying to you, don't put that off. Why? Why? You know enough about Christ right at this moment to ask Him into your heart, to forgive you of your sin, to make you into the type of person He's created you to be. Ask Him into your heart. If you hear that still, quiet voice of the Lord, respond to it. To the bulk of us here, because I see you every week, and I can't imagine someone keep coming back here, hearing these messages of salvation and and not coming to Christ eventually. I believe almost all of us here are believers. What I want to do is to challenge you and me to walk with Christ. By that I mean by a conscious effort to leave this place and to consciously, to the best of our ability, live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, walking according to the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean you and I won't falter. We will. We will sin from time to time. That's what 1 John one nine is about. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But for those here that would walk with Christ, I beg of you, let's be a church that walks with Him. That is a choice. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I have a choice to walk with Him all the days of our life. And there are some who won't. They just won't. And so be it. But for the most part, I think we all will walk with him. Father in heaven above, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the the chance to be back here with these dear people whom I love so much. Would you please watch over each of us? Father, uh, your care upon us is, is critical. Please care for us and... Watch over us. And Father, would you please bless each person here and those who are not here for whatever reason. Bless them. Bless them. And Lord, thank you for this time that we had together. We want to thank you from the very bottom of our hearts for the wonders of your Son, Jesus Christ. For those who have accepted you at this moment in time, this day, the 28th of April, the year 2013, at 10, or no, I guess it's 12, 15 in the afternoon now. Would you please watch over us, care for those people who've come to you. And for those of us who decide, Father, to set ourselves apart, to, to sanctify our lives so that we might walk with you as, as purely as we know how, would you care for us and watch over us, I pray, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than I can ever put into words. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for being here.